that before humans were still animals emotionally run by instincts and that uh, the whole society's um, teaching pattern had to do with boogeyman and spooks in the closet, aliens in the air, sky daddies and magic here, there and the other thing and all kinds of things to make us afraid. And so we did really well to make our society quite safe, and yet the people are all still afraid. (laughs) And so now that we've figured out how to make society safe enough so that we're actually safe, let us now go that next step and learn how to live our lives feeling safe. So we're talking about an insight that you uh, had that uh, is quite remarkable, but you don't even understand in the Buddhist context just how remarkable that point is. And so we're talking about the fact that you recognize that you're not a fixed person, that your personality, uh, though developed and sometimes crusty, is not who you are. Yeah. And it can be changed. And this has enormous ramifications for it in all kinds of ways and places. And so it's almost like um, uh, uh, an integral part of the path. It is the path. But in fact, what we're actually talking about here is you've heard of uh, possibly the concept of 10 fetters. I've heard of it, but I don't, I'm not familiar with it. Okay, ten, ten fetters, uh, three of which go at one stage, and then a couple of more fetters, and then eventually all of the fetters go away. And that the fetters that we're talking about, the first one is personality view, and the second one is understanding Sivabhata Paramasa, or how the self relates to the world. And when we're practicing Dhamma enough, then we figure out what is the path and what is not the path, and we become completely free of doubt. And so there's these first three fetters that have to be eliminated. And when it when one does, one is definitely considered on the path. So this is the first fetter to go, and I want to resoundingly congratulate you for coming up with this on your own without even having to use the traditional uh, Buddhist language that I'm more prone to use. (laughs) But yes, to recognize that you are free. Yeah. Of even who you thought you were. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a bit (laughs) crazy. And when I had the initial realization, it was so strong that I was just, my mind was blown for the whole day. I think I was just like, why? And then, you know, it kind of, it receded a little bit and I was kind of, you know, I've been in and out of that um, different mind states and stuff, but it's, it's continued. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of come back to it each time quite quickly. Which is Well, this is in fact, uh, such a major milestone in the life of human beings that this milestone is often made in other contexts. And one of the examples of another context that I'm thinking about is Frederick Nietzsche, 
who said, God is dead and I am free. He's talking about this exact same experience. He's just using a completely different language for it. In other words, the past is actually dead. That this moment really does exist and we're free in this moment because who I thought I was in the past no longer applies. That's why he said God is dead. Not that God does not exist, never did, and never will. That's not the point. The point is, is that the past becomes dead now. That's what it felt like as well. It felt like old Olivia had to die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I had to die, like literally. <laughs> and you told some people about that, and they're like, oh, that's really morbid and weird. But actually, that's, that just makes me excited. You know, that, that way of being caused me to be, um, caused a lot of suffering and has ultimately caused me to be quite ill at the moment, I think. I think that's a big reason why I've, I've kind of got to this place. And so I don't want that anymore. <laughs> like, I want to create something else. <laughs> well, again, congratulations. And again, you recognize that in some ways that there, it was a process. And, and part of the process was the fact that there was some resistance to it. A lot of resistance to it. I would say. Okay. And that's quite typical also, because in a way, we spent a whole lot of time trying to figure out who we were. And now we recognize that a lot of time and effort that we have put in was, un was not worth our time and effort. That we did yeah. not get good, that we, uh, in a way, we wasted our time. Or yeah, that's also what like yeah so a lot of my life has been that it is a bit of <clears throat> and another way of looking at it is, is in fact of being angry at the fact that look how much how many lies you had to believe and how many uh falsehoods went into the construction of that old olivia yeah <laughs> and not only that but then because of that how important she was Yeah. And now that you recognize that that was kind of false, there's there's going with the analogy of Nietzsche, because these things are deeply interrelated. Is that many atheists, when they begin to figure out that they have been lied to in their religion, they go through a period and sometimes that period of time will last for 10 or 20 years of being really pissed off at. Uh, the yeah. fact that they've been lied to. Yeah. And so they get stuck in fighting with the old lies rather than turning on, turning around and, and moving on, which is the, the right way to do it. Okay, well, I'm glad I'm finished with that. Now let's let it go. It is okay. very tempting, though, to cling to that. Like I did have a while, and I still do get it sometimes when I look back and I see things that had happened and it it is frustrating that I bought into that and I didn't kind of trust myself more but like you said it it happened and now I can get on with it and it's the same when <laughs> I go into unwholesome thoughts and then I notice that I've gone into unwholesome so thoughts yeah. it's really tempting to go oh I went into unwholesome thoughts what an idiot blah, blah, blah. 
I'm never going to do this instead of just going, oh, well, and then just oh, got well. me out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really hard uh-huh. to not do that because it's. I think yes, that's trained what the old Olivia was trained to say. Yeah, that's well, exactly. What the old, yeah. Mm-hmm, that was what the old Olivia was trained to say. Well, there you go again. You're stuck in it. You're not going to be able to get out of this. You're always going to be in there. Okay. Yeah. And you're recognizing that 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 uh, that's critical kind of thinking was just old learned behavior and that you don't have to continue to repeat it. And it's what mean, like you said, it's all it is, is just an old behavior, but you put so much meaning on that behavior that that's what gives it the weight and the power. Like, hmm? but if you take the meaning away, it's like, oh, it's just a pattern, like big deal. It doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. And so in a way, what we're talking about now is a newfound power in the sense that that old stuff had power over you. And now you have power over it through knowledge. Yeah. This is actually why we talk about spiritual power is because this is, in fact, the budding of the power is is that you know that you can take care of things now. This is also that attitude change that we've been talking about. And it becomes powerful to be in the present moment. Even Eckhart Tolle has a book by the name of The Power power of the Now. Exactly. And what we have been doing is we have been allowing the past to have the power. Yeah. And to now we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to hold that power for the present moment. And that power then is also the power of joy. It's the power of the knowledge. I can take care of this. I can handle this. I do not have to be afraid of this. I can take care of it. Yeah. Isn't that marvelous? Yeah, it's good. And in a way, it was the old Olivia who not only um, had the power, she needed it desperately in order to survive what she thought was the onslaught of dangers. Now you're recognizing that those dangers that she was so afraid of are not real. Yeah, I did feel constantly kind of, I was constantly in fight flight because I constantly felt like there were Mm -hmm. dangers all the time. That not only is the way that Olivia was uh, behaving in a set routine, she was behaving in a set routine against fears, doubts, and problems that were always also in a kind of a set routine. And so actually what I'm doing is now I'm introducing to you the second fetter, or where do we go from here? 
And that yeah. is now that you have an understanding that you are not who you were, that who you are is only in the present moment. And that's so complex that we couldn't possibly do an inventory in time for it to be now. <laughs> but, that if we did an inventory, when we start the inventory, by the time we finish the inventory, we're a different person. We have to tear that one up and start over again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that things are moving too fast for, for uh, manageable inventories. And so what we have to do is kind of understand that who we are right now is okay without having to deal with all the complexities of the moment. But understand that the complexities of the moment are mind-boggling complex. Yeah. Just this present moment is so complex, but we've learned to manage it because we're quite comfortable in it. In this present moment, no problems, no worries, no dangers, everything is okay. And so what that does is it kind of allows us to just enjoy the show. So it's like, is being okay with kind of where you are now without needing to know every minute detail of who you are. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just, it's letting go of that. Even a bit like go that. if you saw a plant or something, being able to just enjoy the plant without knowing every single like inch of biology of the plant and the soil and Precisely. Enjoying a, a plant in the moment is not the same as first going to the dictionary, then going to the encyclopedia, <laughs> then going online and, and finding all and writing, reading and writing books on a particular plant. They people do that. But the that's child what I used to feel just like sits in my... front of the plant, mesmerized in joy with just looking at the plant without having to know all of its details and features. That's what I used to feel like in my degree a lot, but there is obviously um, value in in knowing things about, like scientifically about things, obviously, but they kind of do it to the expense of seeing the big picture. And so you would like look at, say, cells under a microscope or whatever, without mm -hmm. knowledge of where the like the whole organism and how that's interrelated to everything on the planet, and and so it's yes. a very kind of specialized thinking yes. instead of mm -hmm. putting that into the bigger picture. Well, um, actually, what we're uh, pointing at here is curiosity. Yeah. Okay, as opposed to doubt. Right. That when we see things as overly complex and therefore it's got fear built into it, it's got doubt. But when doubt is actually fearless, it's, it's a jumping curiosity. Right. No, it, it, it has joy built into it. And so this is when scientists are really, really um, successful, is when they're joyously curious yeah. about what they're doing. 
And so this joyous curiosity is the right way to experience the world anew rather than already have decided what it was and seeing it both dangerous and broken and needing to be fixed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then having that expectation, so then you can't mm -hmm. see things as they are now because you're always comparing it to what you've decided in your head, even though that was just the concept anyway. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, so joyous curiosity of this present moment is quite useful and it's also in a way nurturing. But if we think we already know what it's like, then we do it in the sense of critical. In fact, uh, when I use the, the word critical thinking, I take a particular definition of the word critical to point directly at the second noble truth in the sense that when we're critical we make judgments or when we're critical we say this is good and this is bad or this is good and this is better and what what that winds up doing is is that that means that we like some things and we don't like others when we like something we want it when we don't like it we try to get rid of it and all of that mechanism happens ignorantly and this is what we call critical thinking so when we apply critical thinking to our own mind uh critical would be all oh, the mind wanders away all oh, the mind always wanders away oh i can't help the mind but wandering away this meditation stuff is really hard all right you can hear all that critical in there in in um in um in the other way we could say nurturing thoughts of oh aha i see the mind has wandered away Never mind, start again. Yeah. Okay, so we can now expand that critical nurturing concept also to the entire reality in which we live. Our environment, our immediate environment, that which touches or somehow contacts your senses. And I would like to give you that as the new definition of the world. The world is the world in which you live. When we think of the world or even the universe as a, a, a kind of a similar word, when we think of the universe, we don't think of our immediate environment. We think about stars and galaxies and outer space and things that are way far away. Yeah. But similarly, so when we think of the world, we think of, in fact, things that are on the furthest part of the planet also very far away and so what uh, uh we want to get into is not just to be now but to be here that our world is here it's within our senses and it's this world that needs our nurturing the world we actually live in not the far-flung places that are nothing but a concept in the mind so we're talking about a real, real here now. And when someone walks up, then we need to present with them also that curious, joyful um, curiosity. Yeah. And we start dealing with people that way. This is what is often referred to as meta. But really, meta doesn't do anything but translate immediately into the word kindness. 
just kindness. And so metta for yourself is just being kind to yourself, just being nurturing. And so now that we're beginning to be nurturing to ourselves, because we recognize that that old stuff who we thought we were really is malleable, changeable, and not really fixed or set or needs to even be fixed. And in fact, it's old and it's gone into the past and dead to the world of now, here now. And so that means that we can take any relationship with any of our friends, acquaintances, and everybody and make it brand new. Rather yeah. than having to deal with them as if they were in the past also. And so this is a new world of a uh, new way of dealing with the world. And these two fetters work together in the sense of that we thought that we uh, knew how things should be. We thought we knew how things ought to be. That should and ought are the key words for that critical mind, yeah. that critical thinking. Should have, so, would have, could have. <laughs> should have, would have, could have, right. Uh -huh. <laughs> and all of that has to do with feeling bad because it has to do with the past that can't be changed. With all the scientific experiments that we've ever had, we've never been able to change a past experiment. No. They talk about time travel and <laughs> you don't have it. In fact, there's a very good reason to see why it doesn't. And that is the situation of some things have cause and effect and some things take energy to create and other things cause energy to dissipate like nuclear fissions, fires, all that kind of stuff. What kind of fire will take ash and burn into wood? It's not the way it, of things. <laughs> no, does not, does not work like that. That's what the past is really, the ash, not the wood. The wood is in the present moment. The fire is real, giving warmth, but the ash is only the results of a dead long ago here now. It doesn't exist anymore. So both the personality view and the, the view of attachments to rights, rules, and rituals and the way things ought to be are both dealing with the past and getting rid of that so that we can now fully live in the present to deal with how things are now. Yeah. And this is when we begin to fully eradicate the doubt is because that's what we begin to understand, that this path of the Buddha of being in the here now, of having wholesome thoughts and unwholesome thoughts is a dang sight better way to live than the way that I was living all attached to who I was, giving myself a bunch of rules and stuff like that, being critical of everything and making myself miserable for it. <laughs> and so this is the way that we understand now. And so this is part of that newly found confidence that we could do this. We can handle this. This is the real confidence that is the eradication of the doubt. Yeah. So could you think of this as this path as like the next stage of human evolution? 
we've kind of done with the physical evolution and now we need to go to the mind and evolve that to become yes. kind of truly human if for lack of a better term that you're, you're because absolutely evolution, right like, you're meant to get stronger and stronger and it seems that maybe <laughs> physically the human race is maybe not doing that just because of interventions and things um well, well we can go off and explore that just a bit and the way that i would start exploring it is by mentioning something that dr martin luther king said in the sense that the um uh the arc of nature uh is long but it bends or the arc of the universe is long but bends into uh justice it bends in the direction of justice so this is an indication of what we're talking about that you're you're mentioning also that if we change the word justice into the word knowledge then it fits if we change the word knowledge into liberation then that also fits okay that in fact knowledge is the key in the sense that justice can only be applied with full knowledge that if there's lies and deceit and uh, um, acrimony and hidden things justice is not served also the same point about freedom depends upon knowledge and so as we gain knowledge as we gain insight into the way that our own mind works each one of us can gain freedom the question is is that at what kind of mass scale can that happen the answer is we don't that know because it's be never happened at a, never happened at a mass scale but it almost the world did. would have to change drastically well, actually, no, it would be that the people who are living in that world would be drastically confused when so many other people just kind of left it. Mm. That, in fact, in Bhutan, you probably heard of the nation of Bhutan. They are intentionally cloistered in the sense that it's hard to get a visa and things like that but they don't even have their a most uh, a gross domestic product they have a gross domestic happiness and the government is uh dedicated to doing that wow that's amazing You're giving the kids a good education and giving the people what they need and uh making it a truly buddhist socialist country and Nobody has a clue about what they're doing because, in fact, it is kind of a Shangri-La. What's a Shangri-La? A Shangri-La is one of these mountain kingdoms where everybody is happy and everything works correctly and the, uh, the American man gets his beautiful girl there. You know that kind of story. <laughs> <laughs> So are they still doing that then? That's still what they're doing. Pardon? Are they still doing that then? Is that still yes, how it's, they work? It's, yes, you can look up Bhutan on the internet and see what they're doing. I haven't been keeping track of it, but I'm pointing out that um, 
even governments can start thinking in that direction. That in fact, um, you know that in, in most English language countries, the word communism is a dirty, dirty word. Right? And that that word is applied to um, socialist Russia in those days, but the word didn't fit what Lenin and Stalin were doing. They were just being authoritarian and stealing everything and doing it in the name of communism. Because communism actually has to have people's willing permission to live in a community. It's something you join. It's not something that you're forced into. And when we recognize that it's easier to um, here's an example of that. Let us say that you had a small town USA. That had uh, one particular thing, it just kind of started like that, but that was just that they had a, one lawnmower in the whole town. And everybody used that lawnmower. And that it was uh, would sit idle and people when they would finish with it would put it out on their lawn and somebody could come and find it and take it and use it for someplace else. And the only point was that if it broke, you had to repair it if it broke on your watch. And if you think about it, the whole town now in the United States, most local towns like that, everybody owns their own um, lawnmower. So let's say that that lawnmower would, could be used by 100 people. Yeah. We would only need 1% of all the lawnmowers if the people shared it willingly. Yeah. All right. But if somebody wants to hide that lawnmower in his garage for some reason, then the whole show falls apart. Yeah. Now, there's another story that goes in the opposite direction, and that is imagine that this beautiful Bavarian um, town had an enormous um, pasture that was every year would be completely loaded with flowers, a complete, just beautiful pasture that was on the side of the hill. And people played and they uh, uh, sat under the tree and things like that. But one girl got the idea that she's going to take a bunch of these flowers, put it in a basket, and uh, tie them up and sell them out on the road. And she started doing that, and another girl saw her, so she started getting flowers. And within two weeks, every lady in town had gone there and gotten flowers, and all the women are now standing on this dirt road waiting for traffic to come by so that they could sell the flowers, but there's no flowers left on the hill. Yeah. Okay, that's capitalism. Mm -hmm. So what we need is a better system for society and that as we started talking about it in the sense that knowledge is going to be the solution. In fact, we've known that forever. That's why so many people do not want their kids to go to university. They don't want those kids <laughs> knowledgeable about things that uh, don't agree with what mom and dad used to think. Also, the Internet will eventually uh, go through a cleanup process. 
in the sense that newer things stay new and older things kind of rot away. So old news will not be looked at. It gets shoved off to some server farm way out in the dunies. It's hard to access, things like that. And that will happen with a lot of the falseness so that the Internet will over time get better. As we said, the arc of the universe bends towards justice. The Internet bends towards correct information. Mm -hmm. But in fact, we've had several revolutions in history. One was writing itself, either cuneiform or hieroglyphics, but our first forms of writing literally transformed society. Yeah, that's that, that fast forward to the Gutenberg press. And now that we have the printing press so that uh, printed information is not handwritten, but it can be disseminated broadly. And that was a revolution. Wow, what a revolution. The Industrial Revolution came out of that. The uh, Renaissance, everything came out of the Gutenberg press. OK, well, the Gutenberg press came along really, really early like 1500 or so before much of the Industrial Revolution and, and uh, the Renaissance ever got started. So it took quite a long time for things to get rolling. How long have we had the Internet now, the next revolution? Hasn't been very long at all. Not for very long. No, at best, maybe 25 years, yeah, closer about, to yeah. 20 years. Okay. So this is brand new on the scene, and look at the profound impact it's already had on so many things. Yeah, well, I mean, we wouldn't be talking today if, if we didn't have it. That's one thing. Also, <laughs> look at how many uh, high-quality university courses are on YouTube. Yeah. You could do almost anything if you know how to look. You can learn how to do calculus. You can learn how to program a computer. You can learn how to do almost anything by watching the videos. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Okay. That in yeah. fact, all I need to do is know the uh, the model number of this laptop and write onto the internet, and I can pull up the um, the manual for that computer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And know all about it. So this is the point that I'm making: is is that we're actually going through a revolution, and that revolution is also going to be including AI and robotics and all kinds of things and and life is going to be changing it's going into the past lane okay that we started out in society in very very low gear until we got hieroglyphics and cuneiform, and that put us into second gear and then we went into third gear with uh, gutenberg's press and now we've just gone into fourth gear and we've probably got several more gears to go into, but we're really flying along now. And what we're talking about now is in two ways. One is, is that the humanity is ahead of itself uh, scientifically, and we're lagging behind emotionally, but we're catching up also emotionally. But in fact, uh, 50, 75 years ago, uh, People were often an emotional wreck. I think a they lot of people still are, to be honest. <laughs> right, but we're coming out of it as a society, some. An example of that is um, um, because of politics and religion and the internet and the combination of that, 
the younger group of people who are in their 20s now have completely different mindsets than their parents did. And that wasn't true 100 years ago. 100 years ago, people uh, would keep the same mindset as their parents, but now things are changing. Yeah, no, in that way, it's definitely good. But I mean, mental health and kind of suicide rates and stuff are just terrible at the moment. <laughs> We can have a whole different topic on 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 uh, the pros and cons side. I mean, we all do it. There's so much I could talk about. (laughs) Yeah. But the 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 in fact, you could go so far as to say every moment is a suicide. Every moment that arises passes away. Everything that flitters up flitters back down. And things are constantly rolling, constantly in turmoil, constantly in flux. And as we just talked about in the respect of the gear, we're now in civilization's fourth gear. That now includes for the first time the fact that we're now starting to make real progress emotionally. That before humans were still animals emotionally run by instincts. And that uh, the whole society's um, teaching pattern had to do with boogeyman and spooks in the closet, aliens in the air, sky daddies and magic here, there and the other thing and all kinds of things to make us afraid. And so we did really well to make our society quite safe and yet the people are all still afraid. And so now that we've figured out how to make society safe enough so that we're actually safe, let us now go that next step and learn how to live our lives feeling safe. Yeah. Yeah, because it does seem like there is a lag that, you know, we've taken thousands and thousands of years to evolve, millions of years to evolve to this space. And then... And, you know, we're, and we seem to still be perfectly adapted to living, mm-hmm. you know, more of a hunter-gatherer life. And then suddenly exactly. you we are, in fact, in exactly. like a few hundred Perfect. years, our society changes so drastically. And the body and the mind just seem to just be like, what the hell is going on? And it makes sense why mental health is not great and things like that, because right. we just haven't caught up yet. And so, that's why I meant with the evolution, if you do this kind of work, then maybe you can learn to adapt more to this, to what the society that we've created for ourselves. And then we can carry on our evolution instead of just kind of almost devolving and being stuck. Precisely. You're, you've got it wired. That's exactly what we're talking about. So in that sense, we can uh, say that uh, intellectually, humans are ahead of themselves emotionally. But that intellectual part will help the emotional catch up, at least up to where we are intellectually. But by the time that we get the emotionals up to where we are intellectually today, the intellect will be even higher than that, that it will always lag behind a little bit. And there's another way of talking about it. And we're talking about it here in the sense of generalities or the entire society. 
but let's look at it at the, in an individual level because this is where it really impacts us. And that is you and me and the people in your universe, your world and mine and that kind of thing has changed now uh, thanks to some remarkable stuff. And one of those things that happened goes right back to the Buddha, that the Buddha decided that people can get this, that they can figure it out, that they can individually bring their emotional state up to the level of their intellect on an individual level. And then that would filter through to societal level and all this. Mm -hmm. And that that's the teaching of the Buddha is to come out of our um, instinctual lives that were, uh, let us say, born and bred in the families of, if we go back far enough, apes. And it is yeah, up to end each individual baby human ape to grow up fully into being a human. Yeah. But we need the skills to do that. We need the tools to do that. And those tools have been more or less hidden away in the saga for 2,000 years because of the dangers from, let us say, other predatory apes. There's some reasons, though, why the, why the Brahmins wiped out Buddhism in India in the 12th through the 14th century. Buddhism is dangerous. Downright well, it makes people really empowered and they're mm -hmm. able to think for themselves and not be manipulated. And how are you meant to control people if they're all just like, nah, sorry, you don't, <laughs> doesn't affect me. <laughs> right. You know, advertisement well, and stuff suddenly doesn't work on us. <laughs> that's right. The propaganda doesn't work. Like we're immune. It. We become immune to the stuff that is pointing at the instinctual um, to become afraid or to have feelings about it, that we can, in fact, stay in intellect long enough to work through it so that we don't have to deal at an, at an emotional level. We can stay at a bright, happy, um, inter intelligent level. That we can do this that we do not have to follow the instincts because the instincts are almost always unwholesome. In this, mm -hmm. in the, in the, in uh, the world we live in. But I suppose they, I mean, they would have served us great when we were hunter gatherers because they would have kept us alive. But it's just now they're not, like we said, they just haven't caught up. And so they're not really sufficient. Um, right. So, let us say then that because of various things, including some enemies, that the Sangha kept the real teachings of the Buddha alive, but they kept them secret in the sense that the only people who uh, got to know the teachings of the Buddha, who were those who were asking the right questions at the right time to the right people. And so they would always get informed. That happened slightly differently to Bhikkhu Buddhadasa because he had already figured it out the right thing and he was uh, letting it out and broadcasting it and he got into a whole lot of trouble from those who didn't understand. It caused a trial and that trial came to the conclusion after a lot of research and a lot of uh, uh, poly retranslations and whatnot that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa was teaching the wrong, the right thing to the wrong people. Right. Bingo. 
And he made a lot of good friends and was introduced actually then into the nobility of the Sangha that already pre-existed in Thailand. That he kind of stumbled on it on his own. And then he was allowed in because of his public statements. That happens also sometimes. But Bhikkhu Buddhadasa has also said and has said since then that there is absolutely no longer a reason in the 20th or the 21st centuries to keep this stuff hidden anymore. And this is why Anchan Po wants me out on um, internet putting this stuff out there so that people can figure out that that I, I can figure out who I am, or at least I can figure out who I am not, and who I am not is what I used to be. <laughs> and number two, we can figure out that the world is not really far away. It's right here in front of us. It touches us. We're in the world, and we react and respond to the world. And when we respond to the world with um, criticism, we're going to get a critical response. If we respond to the world nurturing, we're going to get a nurturing response, just like we do on the inside. So we start uh, treating the world the way we've just newly learned to treat ourselves on the inside. And when we put that together, we recognize, wow, what a powerful path this is. And each individual can do that and that we can put this out and many people can begin to understand it because basically what we call Western Buddhism is like a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of key pieces gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so plugging those things back in so that people can recognize that you've got to put some skin in the game. You've got to change the way you think. You got to actually pay attention to unwholesome thoughts and put wholesome thoughts in, uh, in place instead. And by the way, Olivia, I'd like to ask you one question, even though I already know the answer to it. And it could basically be asking this in the in the form of, by the way, how are you feeling? Yeah, good. OK, if the, one year ago, if I had asked you that question, what would you have answered? Uh, probably overwhelmed or sad or <laughs> frustrated or <laughs> any number of those things. Not good. <laughs> yes, yeah, see what I mean. This is what I'm here for is to recognize that long term change over time that can only be effective each individual moment. We have to change this individual moment and the and the uh, the changes in this moment like a butterfly effect will build up over time so that now your entire feeling systems are different than they were a year or two ago. Yeah. That yeah. the complaints, the psychosomatic complaints that you had a year ago, you don't even have them now. If I hadn't have brought them up, you wouldn't have even remembered them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I really do want to congratulate you. This is really marvelous. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Yes. So continue on making sure that you practice a little bit every day. One of the yeah, things that I'm recommending now for the students is, is that when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do before you get out of bed is take five or 10 minutes. Because you take five or 10 minutes anyway, but take five or 10 minutes to do some breathing 
and to put yourself into really wow what a wonderful day this is well i'm going to have fun today everything's going to be okay everything's fine got this one to do and then the evening i think it's good to do that before bed as well yeah pardon what I just said, before you said it, I said, I think it's quite good to do that just before you go to bed as well. And then you went to go and say it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And just as you go to bed, you go up with the idea of snuggling up. Oh, it feels so good. I got no place to go and nothing to do for the next eight hours. I'm just going to lay here and just enjoy the night. <sighs> <sighs> and this is the way to practice. Practice yeah. at least that much. And then during the day, you can stop and think two or three times just to stop and go, ah, oh, wow, what a nice moment this is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And remember to watch the breathing, to make the breathing long on the in-breath and long on the out-breath. And everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. Before I go, um, I just wanted to say that I really like what you've done with the um, YouTube channel, with the timestamps and the um, like the titles to the videos. It's really you, helped. Please really. write uh, a comment for that, because Keyshawn is doing that stuff, and Parker is also helping. Keyshawn and Parker have been oh, okay. doing that stuff. So leave a comment or two when you like what they've done. All right, I will. Yeah, no, it's really helpful. Uh, so you've got like a little team, have you, together? Uh, yeah, yeah, we've got a got a team going. We've got a convoy. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's good. Yes. Uh, there's also a website under development that has a, um, uh, a, a it's actually done in England uh, by by Matt Gold, and it's a, a nonprofit and an NGO that uh, uh, that we've got mm -hmm. the website for that is designed around uh, bringing people into uh, those because there's a lot of us uh, who want to learn how to teach the Dhamma or they want to teach the Dhamma but they don't have any clue and the old uh, business model in in the West is oh well if you want to teach the Dhamma you got to build a Dhamma center yeah yeah, but then, and pay a lot of money. <laughs> and pay a lot of right. And and so all of that, and so it winds up being business-oriented. So we're looking for a way of working with the Asian Watts and the uh, the budding teachers to have them spend some time in the Watts living with the monks and living a lay life and uh, a monkly life as a mix and then beginning to teach there so that they don't have to work they can live and and uh, uh, have a good life uh, and devote it to the Dhamma. And if they want to ordain sometime, they can do that. But that would be optional. Yeah. OK, and so it, it has uh, several aspects to it. One is to bring the West and the East together. Another aspect is to bring Dhamma teachers together. So that we can work together in harmony rather than in competition mm. yeah so that's what and the name of it is open sangha collective okay i'll send you a link thank you yeah that'd be good all righty okay. well this has been a really nice conversation i really enjoyed it we've talked about the first three fetters
<laughs> yeah, no, it's been really good. Really enjoyed Excellent. it. Well, that's because you're coming in with a great success story. And I'm really pleased. <laughs> <laughs> so continue on. I will. Yeah. You made enormous progress. I'm so pleased. <laughs> Thank you. I will see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.